Hi, Women at Warp listeners. Just before we get into this episode, want to give you a content note that this episode discusses genocide, um, particularly the Holocaust, um, as well as Japanese internment and other really difficult and awful periods in our history. So if you need to skip this one or listen to it at a particular time that works for you, please feel free to do that. And uh, thanks a lot. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name is Sarah, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are Jira. Hello. Sue. Hello. Before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar per month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit www.patreon.com slash women at warp. You can also check out our TeePublic store at tpublic.com slash store slash women at warp with new designs based on our new banner art, plus logos and some other non-podcast-specific Trek designs. And be sure to check out the Idic Podcast Festival, which is July 17th to 18th, and the schedule will be out next week. So exciting. Yay! All right, so today we have an episode review, and we're going to look at the Voyager episode, Remember, which was a suggestion from a Twitter listener who was surprised that we didn't talk about this episode in our episode on Bolana, which... I am sorry, we didn't remember it. <laughs> Very grateful for the suggestion. So we're going to pick it up here. And uh, we're going to take a bit of a look at this, which is really interesting. I did not remember it. But when I saw it, I was like, oh, right, this one. And actually, I've, I found it very touching. So I'm interested uh, to hear what you all thought. But you know, I think there's some some good themes to dig into. So uh, Sue, do you want to give a uh, Cole's uh, Cole's notes is what we call it in Canada. Uh, <laughs> what do you call it in the States? Cliff's notes cliff or notes? spark notes. Okay. Yes. A, a cliff notes. I do know spark notes of, of this episode. Remember. Yeah, sure. So in this episode, Voyager is transporting some colonists back to their home world who can't travel quite as fast as Voyager. So they're getting a fast trip home. And in exchange, they're giving Voyager some energy conservation technology that we never hear about again. No big deal. Well, they do say that at the end they're going to cancel their trade. So I will give them sure. a pass on that. But they're installing it on the way there. Yeah, anyway. That's true. And they didn't make them go back to their colony planet. Anyway, not All important. All right, we'll talk about that part later. <laughs> not important because the point of the episode is that out of nowhere, uh, Balana starts having these dreams where she is having this relationship with this guy that her father doesn't approve of. And he's part of a political movement called regressives. And they're, they, they want to, the government wants to transport them to a different part of the planet. And she doesn't know who to believe and eventually sides with her, her dad and the government. And things go terribly wrong. We find out that this, these aren't just dreams. They are memories from one of the people that Voyager is transporting, and it is part of their history 
that this government, this community is trying to keep under wraps. But Bolana is not going to let that happen and make sure everybody knows the truth. And she helps to share the memories so that younger generations know the truth about their own history. That is a super, super short description. I think uh, that that pretty much covers the premise. And I will say that I was delighted to find out that the guy who plays Dathan is Chip Eston from Whose Line Is It Anyway, <laughs> which I never realized. Yeah, so fun, fun time guest stars. He was also in, in a TNG episode. Speaking of guest stars. Yes. This, this episode has a lot of similarities, of course, to Next Generation's violations. The woman who plays older Karenna, or Jora, as they call her in mm-hmm. the episode, Eve Brenner, also played an elderly telepath in violations. Whoa. <laughs> it also has Bruce Davison as her dad. Yeah. He's been in other stuff too, but I don't, I don't have any cool like references to pull out of my hat on that he was in uh the first x-men movie like the first of the first round right. of x-men movies he's really good at playing awful people yes <laughs> was he striker no no he was the senator or something right 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 yes i was like oh it's been so long since i watched those movies but i should rewatch soon one thing i wasn't clear on is whether they're a political movement or just like a maybe like not a religious movement exactly but like I don't know, it could be like a social community of practice, like, because he didn't seem to be like trying to actively push a political belief. It just seemed to be that there was like a difference in the life, like their lifestyle, or their like, up, their background. And they're called regressives, but we never hear what they call themselves. They obviously don't call themselves regressives. And it's obviously supposed to be a Holocaust allegory. So, like, I think they were trying not to make it, like, super overtly religious, but it also wasn't, like, necessarily overtly political to me. It is. So they're rejecting technology. Oh, right. Right? That's what mm-hmm. the the movement, if we, we use that terminology for it, is, mm-hmm. is that they don't want to use these all of the new technology. They want to go back to the old ways. Right. And it is... Yeah, it's it's absolutely supposed to be a Holocaust allegory, uh, but they are. It feels like Star Trek is trying very hard to not make it a religious or an ethnic distinction. Mm-hmm. But at yep. the same time, they are using some of the 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 coded language, the dog whistles that you hear when people talk about ethnic or religious minorities. Like at one point, the father even says, "Like they refuse to." to use this new technology to wash their hands. It's a it's amazing they haven't started a plague. Mm-hmm. Like, this minority carries diseases is, like, should set off all kinds of alarms in your head. Mm-hmm. It was pretty, yeah, it's intense. It's interesting that you said that it has a um, similarities to violations, which it does. It's like, you know, a group of aliens comes on board, telepathic thing in her head. Um, I also thought it was quite similar to the inner light mm-hmm. in that it's like she, you know, actually kind of pursues continuing this once she learns what's happening. Like it seems like the initial telepathic link is a bit accidental, but then Karena is like pushing this on Bolana, and then she gets the option through 
medical, like through treatment by the doctor to suppress it. But she is like, I have to live the rest of this story out. And it, and it is about like making sure that people don't forget what happened to our people. She's also the only one in all three of those episodes that has a choice at any point. I mean, yeah. inner light is non-consensual. Violations is non-consensual. That's sort of the point of the episode. And mm-hmm. this one starts that way. But then she mm-hmm. makes the choice to find out more, to continue to go back and pursue it. Yeah. And then it ends out kind of non-consensual again, because as Corinne is dying, she's like, you know, basically kind of whacks her, yeah. um, like forces herself back into Bellana's mind. Like, I think if Corinna had had the time to negotiate with Bellana, that like it's implied Bellana was going to seek that out. So to, for me, it isn't quite as egregiously troublesome as the um, as the inner light, but it's um, it's definitely a trickier area. And I do like though that like they they talk explicitly about consent in this episode in the the part where the random old alien dude is is playing the psychic guitar and uh is like think misunderstands what Janeway wants when she says like teach me how you play this instrument and uh and like literally just like forces all of his musical knowledge into her psyche and he's like oh no 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 i'm sorry like i never would have done that if i if i you know if there was a, um if i didn't know that you had consented or didn't think you had consented mm-hmm. So I appreciated that there was like a conversation about that, even though, you know, the aliens do tend to to, turn out to be a little bit shady. (laughs) Another thing I really like about the setup here is that when Bolana is finally able to confront Karina, uh, Karina explains that she chose Bolana because of her personality, because Mm. she knew that Bellana wouldn't let this go, that it, she wouldn't let it be hidden. And I mm-hmm. just, I can't help knowing that this was originally supposed to be a Troy episode, right? I just can't help but feel that if it were, it would have been, oh, it's because you have these empathic abilities or because of some physiological reason behind being half Betazoid and half human. And, and it was none of that in this Voyager episode. It wasn't about her her anatomy or her physiology it wasn't about any psionic ability that she does or doesn't have it was purely about her tenacity she was the one who was going to run into the party at the end and be like what did you do yeah exactly yes yeah no one else would have done that exactly everyone else would have been like i don't know maybe we should talk to them and see what all this is about (laughs) And so you you mentioned that this was written as originally as a Troy episode by Joe Minoski and Brandon Braga, and um, it became a Voyager episode. And in uh, Cinefantastique, Brandon Braga says he's disappointed because he felt it would have been better as a TNG episode and felt that Schindler's List, as well as subsequent awareness of the Holocaust, had taken the edge off this episode's genocide-related story. You know what took the edge off the episode about genocide was never using the word genocide. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it's pretty apparent, but it, it it did also strike me that way, too, that we don't, like, we see her boyfriend and another guy, like, rounded up and killed at the end. And we're, we see that, like, you know, uh, this 
character is like training young people and like basically lying about the history and saying that like, oh, the people just chose to live elsewhere because they didn't want to use technology and then they all died out because they weren't civilized like us. So, you know, like those those dynamics are there, but they you're right, they don't say it and they don't show us the, the transports and they don't show us like the, the um other than like the execution of, of those two characters. It's interesting because I think they easily could have Mm-hmm. Right. And and made the flashbacks much more of like a, a global history lesson. But yeah. it's also intended to be a story of how these events intersected with the life of one person. And it's like a warning to potential collaborators kind yeah. of thing. It's like it's it's very much centering the experience of someone who actively participated in this and regrets it. It's like it's kind of like duet without the other side, mm. without the person that suffered as a result of it. So you have this this character who's participated in a genocide. She's She regrets this. And she will take you through, like, all of the things that can make you see how someone could do that. And not just out of pressure from their father, but but out of, you know, this desire to preserve their own security and, like, the just the overwhelming sentiment of the people around them and career advancement. Yeah. That was a big part of this one. Yep. And like when, you know, Karenna is, they have like, you know, a scene where you can see that's basically the the scene where you see them all become Nazis, where they all are like shouting and, and raising their fists in the air about uh, the need for, for their aggressives to, to die in this case. And it's like, I don't know. I think it. I think it packed a punch. So I don't even remember watching this episode the first time around, but I imagine it's a lot different watching it now when we know how many of our neighbors in this mm-hmm. country wouldn't even need as much convincing as Corinna did. Yeah, mm-hmm. and actually, back to what you said, Sue. Um, Joe Minowski said that he also thought it was better as a Voyager story because, in some ways, not having a quote unquote sensitive character and to be thrown into the situation is a little more effective and. I think in some ways that that's kind of true because you like she's not the one who normally seeks that that out. Like she's she's a fighter, but she's not always like you know just seeking to find a cause all the time. But when we see Bellana get angry, it's oftentimes a righteous anger. Mm-hmm. Right? She sees yeah. a wrong and she wants it put right. Mm-hmm. I think that's also why she's one of the most convincing maquis. Yes, actually, okay. Can we talk about Chakotay being like, why are you so late? <laughs> and <laughs> yes. And this is also a thing that like particularly in 90s TV, um, but in, in TV in general, you know, because they, they have to stage the shot and stand like what appears to most people to be awkwardly close. And knowing that like, I think Bolana was sort of had a crush on Chakotay at one point that like, it, it's sort of like when this reminds me of Sub Rosa when like <laughs> Crush is like I've been having these really intense dreams and Bolana's like I'm having these really sensual dreams, Maki Dad, and <laughs> they're just standing so awkwardly close and like he should just drop it, but he asks her like three more questions and it's like this is a little weird. Like you're in the workplace. What you don't talk to your boss about your sex dreams? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> But at least he doesn't, like, get mad at her for being late. He's just like, all right, chill. 
Like, have yeah. enjoy your sexy dreams. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do feel like he was pressing her at first because he was worried something might actually be wrong. Yes. Well, that's different, though, than, like, you're in trouble for being late. Yeah. Yeah. Right? He's like, yeah. I'm not worried about you being at your shift on time. I'm worried about you. Yeah. No, it was just kind of funny. I wasn't, like, troubled by it. I just thought it was amusing. And a little awkward. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing I really liked about this episode was um, the crew's outfits for the party in the beginning. Oh, yeah. The costuming was amazing for that scene. Like, Tom and Harry looked great, and I really, really want Janeway's ivory suit. Yes. It looked very comfortable, but I also couldn't think about how much you would need to iron it (laughs) in, like, in the, you know, in the 21st century. Like, I'm sure that they have space irons that don't take work, but I was like, oh, man, that that thing would wrinkle easily. (laughs) I also just like that Janeway hairstyle in general. So I do want to go back to, like, the other Voyager crew's response when Bolana breaks into the party and is basically like, they're all murderers and they've, they've been covering this up. And this is like another time when the people are, are you know, they, they're, they're gaslighting her. The, the aliens are saying basically this is, it's just a pastiche of everyone's memories. It's not like an actual, just one person's experience. And so it's, it's like powerful seeing her resist the gaslighting. And the Voyager crew are basically going like, we can't actually find any evidence to back up what you're saying. But they still don't, like, Janeway's not really happy with how she handled it. But I like that they don't, you know, take, like, drastic action to, like, discipline her. I mean, no one says they don't believe her. No one on the crew says they don't believe her, which is nice. Yeah. Well, and the the doctor confirms that she is experiencing memories. Yep. Mm -hmm. But there's... I have so many questions about this this race of aliens, right? Like, if they're a culture that can literally share memories, don't you mm-hmm. think it would be harder to forget something like this happening within a single generation? Mm-hmm. Right? So that's, that's a part of the issue. But there are definitely people Corinna's age also on – this transport, including like the leader guy. So mm-hmm. they're all covering it up. It's a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And, and just overall, the, not just the, the gaslighting, but the niceness they put on top of it, the, the over polite behavior mm-hmm. that yeah. for so many people is going to, for some reason, lend credibility to whatever they're saying just because they're polite mm-hmm. and they're just making it up but yeah. because they're nice about it they're believed like mm-hmm. all of these things are issues for me yeah it also kind of makes me wonder you know how do they feel guilty about it if there aren't any survivors and you know because they're they're covering it up out of what like in you know we see situations happen in the world where there are like ethnic attacks or um, genocides or hate crimes. And a lot of times people don't necessarily like they feel justified in doing this and it's awful. So I don't know, like other than, I don't know, they're, they're self-aware enough, I guess, to figure out outsiders are going to have an issue with this. But it, it strikes me that like if their whole society has 
convince themselves that what happened was just like, you know, basically kind of a survival of the fittest thing where these people were rejecting technology and weren't really meant to be able to survive anyway. I don't know why they're hiding it as much. That said, it wouldn't be a very good story if they were just like proudly bragging about it. But there's also the question of whether Karenna feels guilty only because she was in love with this guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, you could feel guilty because they're also people. Yeah. I think that's maybe one of the weaknesses about not seeing what happens to anyone else, really, other than the one friend. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, she feels guilty because she individually betrayed him. And it was partly because her father, like, lied and said he's sleeping with other women, which is very interesting, like, kind of gender politics. But I, I found it, like, to be a, a quite a dramatic moment that, like, she's very torn about this whole thing. And her, her father's putting a lot of pressure on her. And then it's like, that's the thing that in the moment convinces her to just like, take the path of least resistance and betray her lover. But back to the whole like, so Janeway says, like, you know, Blonde is like, what, what, they're just gonna get away with it. And Janeway is like, no, we canceled our trade. And what, what else are they saying that they're I forget, there's like a couple of penalties that are basically diplomatic, like we're, you know, we're not going to continue ties with them. And we're not going to do the trade that we said we would do. But that doesn't really have a lot of teeth either. Right? Yeah. But I mean, I guess I am primed with very low expectations from Earth politicians. (laughs) (laughs) If we like go back to the whole when we did our uh, Spore Jump episode on the West Wing and talking about like the women of Kumar. And uh, as weird as that episode is, um, in some ways are challenging. Like, yeah, if if Earth politicians cut off ties over someone saying a genocide happened or human rights violations, like, it's actually a really big deal. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I'm like thinking about there's definitely been pressure on the Canadian government to cut off ties with Saudi Arabia. But it's like, they buy our manufactured tanks mm-hmm. and things. So, but like Voyager in particular are moving through the Delta Quadrant, right? They're going technically in, mm-hmm. in a single direction. So, any yeah, trade they're going to have with these people is going to be a one off. Yeah. They should have shown them like giving back the technology or something, like right. in order to show it having teeth. But you're correct. That doesn't, it, it doesn't hurt these people because they still Mm -hmm. got their people back and now they have their technology back so they got a free ride right there there are no Mm. consequences for them had this been a next gen episode where presumably this is maybe a, a federation member world or maybe a world that wants to join the federation there could be more consequences because they're in a part of space that we know but these people, mm-hmm. we're just gonna just saying, okay, bye. Yeah, you did a bad thing. See you later. But I feel like Janeway did the only thing she could do because, you know, Belana already like put it right in their face. This is what you did, and the aliens are like, la la la. I can't hear you. And so, but Janeway did tell her, hey, so and so is still in engineering. You could still talk to her, and gave her the only shot she had to at least pass on the information. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying that anything could have been done differently. It's just frustrating mm-hmm. that they're essentially just 
getting off scot-free, although it is a good thing that the the younger woman listens to Bolana at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, like, it's trying to imply that, like, if one person remembers and keeps passing this on, then the truth the truth can be set free kind of thing. But yeah, I take the point. I mean, maybe one thing they could have done is said, you know, these aliens have a crap ton of allies scattered throughout the Delta Quadrant, and, like, the word's gonna get around that we did this. So that at least there's, like, some kind of potential, like, threat associated with pissing them off. I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of. But yeah, I mean, it's not like Janeway could go down and, like, attack them or, you know, force their way onto the planet and hold a trial for war crimes or something on based on one person's memory. Oh, no, and it wouldn't be her place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even prime directive or no, right? Mm-hmm. It is frustrating. Which is realistic because so many people have to put up with frustrating outcomes like that. That's mm-hmm. true. So one of the things that I wish maybe had been done a little bit differently, although I wouldn't expect it on Brandon Braga's Star Trek, is that what it, the the way that they depicted people experiencing these memories, right, is that we see Bolana in the place of Karina. And we see mm-hmm. then at the end, we see a different woman in the place of Karina. You know, what if we had seen different genders experiencing these memories, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. How to make the episode gayer, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Harry Kim episode. Yeah. What if What if it had been Harry experiencing these memories? Or what if Karina had been one of the men on the ship? Just saying. Yep. Yeah. No, that's uh, one of those. Trek was not quite caught up to the times at the time that this was made. But I like that idea. We also don't really see, it's kind of implied that like the younger woman is kind of flirting with Harry at the beginning, and then we never see anything more about that. So take that for what you will. I feel like there's a little bit at the the party at the end, because he speaks up for Bolana and the younger woman is mm-hmm. more willing to listen to him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. If so, that is an, a nice, subtle dynamic. But it is good that Harry sticks up for his friend rather than his mm-hmm. potential love interest. For sure. Yeah. yeah, I like, yeah, that he's basically saying, like, Bolana doesn't just make shit up. Okay, so, but, like, her pin, though, <laughs> kind of looks like balls. Yeah, it does. Maybe that's just me, but um, <laughs> the uh, there's a lot of leather in that planet. And uh, I like that the alien look is just that they all wear headbands, like fun hippie headbands. I don't think they're headbands, though. No, I think, like, what do you think they're supposed to be? Like, they're clearly made out of some kind of, like, meshy ribbon or something, but fabric, but... I actually thought they must be some some part of their body, because b- otherwise Bolana would have shown up in one. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Oh, that's a good point. Either that or it's a TV show and everything doesn't follow the rules, but... <laughs> I mean, I, I also thought that that was supposed to be something, like, biological, but, but it, it was also just clearly, like, human actors wearing headbands <laughs> or wearing... Hat ring hats. But I don't know. There are other Delta Quadrant aliens who have similar sort of like mm-hmm. weird mesh hairline situations. Maybe these are are like more evolved Kazon, mm. or you know. But yeah, I, I feel like we have seen some of those. I wonder if that was intentional. Or the makeup department just found a new material they were excited by. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of wonder. 
what it would feel like to be from a community that's like more directly impacted by genocide watching this. Because I feel like I am very the intended audience for this episode as like a, you know, white person of like Scottish Swiss heritage in Canada today. And like I said, it really does like center that like the person that decides to uphold their own privilege and, and go along with their family at the expense of others. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what the answer is to that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> this was one of Roxanne Dawson's favorite episodes because she got to play two characters. It's fun. That part's fun. <clears throat> it's more, you know, more fun when it's just like sexy dreams and uh, then more serious. I mean, we know that that Voyager did not have a great track record with indigenous representation by any means. Mm-hmm. So I... I understand what you're saying, and I 100% agree. But at the same time, I'm kind of grateful they didn't try to to center a different part of the story. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like it would have been very problematic. Yeah, I think it's, it's very effective, and I think it's valid what it's trying to do. I just am kind of curious. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a, like you know, kind of gutsy, I know, not gutsy, but like maybe, an, I don't know, maybe it's not unconventional, as Brad Vago was saying, but I I don't think that that, if, if it lacks edge, I agree with you, Sarah, that it's not because like the Holocaust has been done before, which is kind of what it seems <laughs> Brad Vago is saying. I like that she's not shamed for having fun, you know, times with the guy that sneaks into her room. <laughs> well, she is by her father. By her father, but like not by the show at all. Yeah. I just, I keep reading over this Braga quote now, and I just, I don't even understand it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, me neither. He felt that Schindler's List, the film, as well as subsequent awareness of the Holocaust, had taken the edge off this episode's genocide-related story. Like, did he think he was teaching the world about the Holocaust with his Star Trek The Next Generation script? <sighs> Uh, well, he's like, if we had done it in TNG, this still would have been new and edgy. But now, like, it's, yeah, I don't know. Th- that does remind me, though, that, like, you know, I I remember in university talking about, about Schindler's List and a feeling from some folks that it was, like, problematic to center. I mean, that's d- a different case because that is centering a white hero or, like, a German hero. Mm-hmm. non-Jewish German hero versus, like, the, the people that were, were being oppressed, even though, you know, he underwent risks. and But, like, this is a little bit different. What this is doing is because it's it's centering the, the how you become an oppressor storyline, which I think is... Uh, so I think that's why I would say that I think it's a valid exercise. Mm-hmm. Just potentially hard for some people to watch. And from that perspective, it is... How do I want to say it? It does show how some people can fall into it, right? Because she's upset that her boyfriend, she thinks her boyfriend is sleeping with other people, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what, that's what changes her mind, apparently. But by the end of the episode, she's all in, in that scene where you see them all like Mm -hmm. become Nazis, the phrasing we used before. And Mm -hmm. it's these... It's it's a one little personal incident that opened the floodgates for this incredibly 
horrific belief system and behavior. Yeah, well, it seems like things really shift. There's kind of like two little bits before that 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 start to force her hand. The first one is when her boyfriend turns up on the list of people that are going to be transported out to what I think we're supposed to imagine are are, um, death camps. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's sort of, you know, there's a point where her boyfriend kind of says, like, they aren't going to resettlement to be resettled. They're going to be killed, basically. And and there was very much like that disbelief in until like the very end of World War Two that that was happening mm-hmm. in Germany and outside of Germany. And so that was kind of like a powerful thing to put in there. Um, but then like her dad basically puts him on the list to get transported out. And she so she first is like confronted by the lengths that her dad will go to to stop their relationship and the fact that she still lives in her dad's house. And then her boyfriend sneaks in the window and, like, tries to convince her to leave with him. So she's kind of in this dis- situation where, you know, she has so much comfort and a potential career ahead of her and all of these things. And, you know, she's being asked to give it all up for this guy that's, like, basically her high school boyfriend or I guess, like, you know, young college boyfriend. And, like, for justice, but she doesn't really know, like, she can easily convince herself, like, this isn't really happening. And so her dad just kind of gives her an excuse that kind of tilts the scales. So in 2016, I saw a lot of people on the internet calling for putting Muslim Americans in camps. And the reasoning Mm -hmm. they were giving is that it worked on Japanese Americans in World War II. Oh, Jesus. Dear God. So if you want to talk about like, you know, seeing that story from the a different perspective and having a frustrating mm-hmm. ending. Yeah, there are so many people who just don't get it and will so easily fall mm-hmm. into that line of thought today. Oh, yeah, that's awful. Yeah, there's I mean, I think that this episode plays an important part, but it kind of it does kind of assume like that you have, you know, somewhat of a liberal education that you can take this and understand what it's referring to and then apply it to yourself. But I think it, it does a pretty powerful job at at doing what it's trying to do. It can't be all, all the things. Yeah. And at the, the time it was made, what was this 96 ish? I mean, the, the Star Trek creators, I, I mean, the Star Trek creators couldn't know there would be a rise of, fascism Mm -hmm. right in in the u.s and i think also canada yes yes so it's it's very like there's there's no way for them to have known that 20 years later this would perhaps hit audiences harder now than it did when it first aired yeah actually yeah someone should go back and interview brandon bragg and now be like (laughs) what do you think now (laughs) or not (laughs) I mean, do you think they, if they had that knowledge, they should have, you know, used a heavier hand and actually, you know, said genocide and made it a little more explicit? I think Mm -hmm. all Star Trek should almost always use a heavier hand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe not always the original series. Well, um, like, (laughs) fair. Let that be your last battlefield. That's, that's a heavy enough hand. (laughs) What are you talking about? Star Trek is at its best when it's subtle, Jarrah. Like the original series always was. Oh, ridiculous. 
I guess I should rephrase that question. Do you think the level they used at that time was appropriate versus what they should be using now? Oh, I mean, I think that that they should have named it. I think you're right about that. I think that that would have gone a long way. There are also potentially like some other ways that they could have reinforced the like that the guilt wasn't just about her particular one lover. Mm-hmm. Like they could have had, you know, like she could be in her job receiving a report of what actually happened in the camps or something like that. Like there's there's ways that you could see that it was like I think duet does a um a more powerful job at, at showing how that that like guilt built in in the character. I mean they could have shown us a yard full of those machines that killed the two guys. Mm-hmm. That alone would have gotten the message across. Yeah. Yeah, and well the the language that Bolana uses when she she crashes the party is murderers. Mm-hmm. But it also isn't 100% clear she's not accusing them of just murdering Karenna. Mm. I mean, she, I mean, it, it is, okay, I, that's maybe not fair. When she says murderers, she, like, she is talking about them, you know, killing these people and covering it up, but she's also accusing them of murdering Karenna. So it is kind of, I right. feel like, tied a bit together. But I, I would say I'm in favor of absolutely this being more explicit, of them calling it out as genocide. And I think even, you know, in, in conversations you have today, there are people who don't realize like genocide is not just the killing of a group of people. It is also the mm-hmm. relocation of a group of people. Mm-hmm. So even if they weren't sending them to death camps, right? Mm-hmm. The forced relocation is a kind of genocide. That's, mm-hmm. So it's it's unquestionable in this episode that that is what's happening, but they don't call it out. Yeah. I think the other thing that we don't necessarily see is what motivates this other than prejudice. Because a lot of times in actual cases, there's like hidden economic and political motives or not so hidden and other than seeming like we just really don't like these guys and we happen to have more power than them, it's not really exposed, you know, the the way – I mean, it's only an hour, but I guess that's just to say that, like, part of the reason that these in- incidents are, I think, in- like, more insidious and harder than just, like – you know, about more than just, like, nice people and mean people is those, those like, you know, the security and the, and the economic engines that, like, people, you you know, stoke prejudice in order to maintain or, or increase power. Get reelected. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, like, there's many, you know, obviously... um in a lot of the like real world, world genocides when people are, are displaced or interned or killed and then like their property is seized and people move into their homes and, and take over their businesses and, 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 and. So we don't really like, we see that, that she doesn't want to give up her privilege, but we don't see the, you know, way that I guess capitalism plays a part in this or other types of kind of structural things. 
Yeah. So to give a specific example for folks who aren't aware, in World War II, it was a lot of the Japanese internment had to do with farms because mm-hmm. Japanese American farms were very profitable and yep. a lot of their neighbors wanted them and a lot of their neighbors got them for pennies on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, I mean, this is a rough one. Well, that's about all the time we have today. Jara, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And Sue, where can folks find you? Sure, you can find me on Twitter at Spaltor, that's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And I'm Sarah, and you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Miyoko, S-A-R-A-H, Amazon Mary, I-Y-O-K-O. Or you can find my fanzine, Star Trek Quarterly, on Facebook. To learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. You can also email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. And for more Roddenberry podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for listening. Bye, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.